0: I'll invite you now to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. At uh, Covenant Baptist Church, we've been working through this epistle, and here in Ephesians chapter 5, we enter another section of Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. And as I do uh, frequently or on a weekly basis, I find it helpful to remind ourselves where we've been and where we are in this letter. So if you permit me, let it me uh, prime the pump, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 5. We've made our way through Paul's foundational discourse that we find in the first three chapters, where where it can be seen that uh, the theme of the book is the exalted Christ. That Christ, having uh, been uh, born, and lived, and died, and resurrected, and then ascended on high, continues to rule in his church. He is now exalted upon high, and as he sits on high, he rules from on high. And we see this first in chapter one, where we have this heavenly witness to the exalted Christ. We may see this in Chapter 1, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, in Christ. Then in chapters 2 and 3, we may see an earthly witness to the exalted Christ, where a new humanity is created through Christ's progeny. Chapter 2, verses 15 through 18 can serve as an example. So that in himself, he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And so here we, have, we come to chapters 4 and 5, and Paul turns our attention from doctrine to devotion. There in chapter 4, at the beginning, Therefore I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Here as a new creation, this body is to act accordingly. That they are to put away falsehoods and speak the truth. They are to put away all self-seeking anger and seek the good of their neighbor. To no longer steal, but instead to work so that provision can be made for those in need. To refrain from speech that tears down and to seek to build one another up instead. And supremely to be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And so we may turn our attention to Ephesians chapter 5, and you may follow along as I read for us Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 7. The word of the Lord says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality and any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. But this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covenant man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience therefore do not be partakers with them the grass withers the flower fades but the word of our God stands forever let us petition him for help this morning Oh, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word. We thank you that you have given us the light of your salvation, that we may understand it. We thank you that you have given us Christ who mediates for us even now, that the Spirit who indwells us enlivens our hearts, that we may not be just hearers of your word, but doers also. We ask that you would do all these things according to your great and awesome promises. And we do ask these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, we can all recognize this morning that our passage as we will look at, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 7, we may recognize this morning that that passage addresses sins that are rampant in the world around us. Sexual immorality, impurity, greed, filthy and silly talk, coarse jesting, these are all prized. They're even praised in our society and culture. But I believe we must recognize two things as we look at this passage this morning. First, we must recognize that it's not unique to the 21st century Western culture. That these problems that uh, are these sins that are addressed are addressed here in the word of God, specifically in the New Testament, specifically to the first century church in Ephesus. Ephesus. And we will see that these were even present prior. We will see that they were present within the world of the biblical patriarchs. So the first thing we must recognize is that though we may bemoan our current status or the current status of our culture, that there is nothing new under the sun before God. The second thing we must recognize is the proclivity for these ideas to seep into the visible church. We may wish for them to stay outside, to stay in the world, and to never enter into our midst. But here Paul addresses the saints who are faithful in Christ Jesus. And so he wants to point out the ways of the world so that it would not be named among the saints. And so we too must recognize this Uh, a tendency or the opportunity for these ideas to seep into the visible church and even lead astray those who are a part of the body. We should always seek to guard our hearts from the sin of the Pharisee and the parable that Christ told, where the Pharisee thanked God that he was not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector that he fasted twice a week and he paid tithes for all that he got, and yet he went away unjustified. But it was the repentant sinner who beat his chest before God and proclaimed his fallenness. It was him who went away forgiven and justified. Sometimes a survey is helpful to help us consider these things. And there's one such survey, or group of surveys, that have been completed by Ligonier Ministries. And they interviewed or surveyed uh, those who considered themselves evangelicals or conservative Christians. And in 2014, they surveyed a little over 3,000 people on various religious questions. One of those statements was, sex outside of marriage is sin. In 2014, 52% of the people surveyed disagreed with or were unsure as to the statement that sex outside of marriage is sin. In 2016, it improved to 51%. And it should correspondingly be noted that in 2016, a statement was added or another statement was added was that uh, this is the, the statement was that the Bible's condemnation of homosexual behavior does not apply today. Fifty six percent agreed or were unsure of that statement in twenty sixteen. In twenty eighteen, the first statement that we address is to this idea of uh, fornication or adultery improved again to forty nine percent. With the, but the corresponding statement grew from 56% to 59%. And in 2020, we saw a, an improvement to both at 49% and 48%. Why do I bring up these statistics in this survey? Well, here at face value, we can recognize that half, half of all professing Christians do not have a biblical sexual ethic. The survey was a short survey. It didn't address such questions as relating to pornography use, other impure acts or thoughts, music and movies that portray immorality, undue delay of marriage, immodest dress, lust. Could it be that these numbers would get even worse as the sin becomes more secret? And this is why we don't, nor should we, shirk away from the preaching of these things that are addressed in Scripture, these things that are addressed in Ephesians chapter 5, that a biblical, biblical ethic is properly taught and heralded heralded to Christ's bride, so that she is washed in the water of the Word. It is also uh, fitting that I recognize this morning that for some of us, these truths can be used as a bludgeoning weapon to beat down an already repentant sinner who has struggled with such sins in their life as a believer or prior to coming to know the Lord. And we all know how Satan accuses us often with our past sins. And so it is imperative upon me this morning to be pastoral in my preaching, to be pastoral in this understanding that this Uh, Truth would not be bludgeoned across you as a weapon, but that would be brought to your mind so that again we may see the glory of the righteousness of Christ that has been imparted to us by faith. That we may also understand the weapons that have been given to us to wage war against such darkness. And so this morning we're going to borrow from the analogy that comes later on in the chapter In verse 8, we see that you were formerly darkness, but now you are light. In verse 11, it says, Do not be, do not participate in the fruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. And in verse 13, but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. And so we're going to use this analogy of darkness and light this morning, and we're going to address verses 3 through 7, under three headings. The works of darkness, the wages of darkness, and the weapons against darkness. Here, we are reminded of the darkness of our adversaries and are very ready, and, and they're being very ready to deceive us. These works of darkness, which is written similarly elsewhere, In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19, we read, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you. The idea here is as we look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, but, but immorality and any impurity or greed must not even be named among you. We see that the idea of immorality here is not just the act. It's not just the immoral deed worked out in the flesh, the consummation of it, but all perversions that lead to the act. As it's connected uh, with this first part, we see that it's also connected to filthiness and silly talk and coarse jesting. Our words, our thoughts, and our deeds here are put before us, or the works of darkness that act out in word, thought, and deed are put before us so that we would flee from them and so that they would not be named among us. We have here, or what we have here is the Spirit's further interpretation of the implications of the seventh commandment. And we find that the Spirit interpreted consistently this commandment, and we can see that in Leviticus chapter 18. You can turn with me to Leviticus chapter 18. Now here in the mosaic law specifically here in the Levitical law it may help us to understand that as we read through the law we don't find uh this one for one correlation with the laws of our age for what was given to the nation of Israel was given in uh, multiple for multiple reasons but not least of which one to set them apart as a people of God and to reflect his character but also uh it was given to them as a precursor and a and a foundation so that they, when Christ would come, they would see and understand their Messiah. But Leviticus chapter 18 speaks to the nation of Israel and tells them of the immorality of the people around them. So it, it comes with a more universal language, more moral language. for it talks about them not acting and doing as the Egyptians or the Canaanites. We see in verses 1 that the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do what is done in the land of Egypt where you lived, nor are you to do what is done in the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You are to perform my judgments and keep my statutes to live according to in accord with them. I am the Lord your God. So you shall keep my statutes and my judgments by which a man may live if he does them. I am the Lord. And so we see there as a, as a side that we see that modicum or that likeness to that first covenant in the garden where here... It, where here we read those words that uh, you would obey and live. And we find that in the covenant of works. And so we find that also as a thread in the Mosaic covenant that they were to do and so live in the land. But here, in contrast to the nations, the, the, the nation that they were leaving and the nations that they would be dispossessing. And we see the connection in verse 21 to idolatry. You shall not give any of your offspring to offer them to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. And so we recognize that there were heinous acts. There, were, uh, there was immorality, impurity, things performed to worship the false gods. And such things that we know of that were done in the name of Molech. And then in verse 24 through 30, we recognize the result of these acts was a defiling of themselves and even beyond that, a defiling of the land. Do not defile yourselves with any of these things. For by all these, the nations which I am casting out before you have become defiled. For the land has become defiled. Therefore, I have brought its punishment upon it, so the land has spewed out its inhabitants. But as for you, you are to keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not do any of these abominations, neither the native nor the alien who sojourns among you. For the men of the land who have been before you have done all these abominations, and the land has become defiled." So that the land will not spew you out should you defile it as it is spewed out the nation which has been before you. For whoever does any of these abominations, those persons who do so shall be cut off from among their people. Thus you are to keep my charge that you do not practice any of the abominable customs which have been practiced before you so as not to defile yourselves with them. I am the Lord your God and so we recognize that there in Leviticus we have a similar exhortation of the spirit as it relates to the seventh commandment that thou shall not commit adultery as we have exhortations here in Ephesians that we are that immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you Though, that they, the implication here, and we see it explicitly in chapter four, verses fourteen, that the Gentiles walked in this way in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. What does the word of the Lord say there in verse 20? But you did not learn Christ in this way. Westminster Larger Catechism is instructive and helpful to us to understand what here is actually forbidden. Question 139 asks asks, What are the sins forbidden in the seventh commandment? It answers that the sins forbidden in the seventh commandment Besides the neglect of the duties required are adultery, fornication, rape, incest, sodomy, and all unnatural lusts, all unclean imaginations, thoughts, purposes, and affections, all corrupt or filthy communications, or lis- are listening thereunto, wanton looks, impudent or light behavior, a modest apparel, prohibiting of lawful and dispensing with unlawful marriages, Unlo- allowing, tolerating, and keeping of stews and resorting to them. There, that is a, um, uh, an idiom meaning, uh, the idea of brothels and prostitution, entangling vows of single life, undue delay of marriage, having more wives or husbands than one at the same time, unjust divorce or desertion, idleness, gluttony, drunkenness, unchaste company, lascivious songs, books, pictures, dancing, stage plays, and all other provocations to our acts of uncleanness, either in ourselves or others. The idea here is that we are to live as a new humanity created in the likeness of Christ. For it is only in Christ that we find perfect obedience to this commandment. But it is in Christ that we are made new, and by his Spirit we have been declared children of light. We've been called out of darkness and into the light, such that these things are not even to be named among us, which is proper and fitting among saints. And as we think about these works of darkness, it would be helpful that we're reminded of the wages of darkness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, we read, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetedness, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And again, in Galatians chapter 5, in verse 21, envying drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, for this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. In addition to these, in the reasons stated in our passage or in these passages, these sins are condemned for at least two other reasons. First, the sins of impurity go against the earliest covenant between two human beings, the marriage covenant. In that covenant, a man is to leave his father and mother and become one flesh with his wife and that this union is to be one of great joy and not shame this idea is is that this these acts are and these words and thoughts are to be condemned because they're not only committed against ourselves and our own flesh and our own body, but as we are married and joined to another, they are committed against them, for we have become one flesh, and their body is our body, and our body is their body. Impurity is a rejection of this great truth, and so it is also a rejection, secondly, of the authority of the Creator to dispense gifts to His creatures according to His sovereign prerogative. We find ourselves in this present darkness. We're surrounded by such thoughts, words, and deeds. Or it's pressed in, pressed in upon us by this world and culture. It's brought before our minds by the temptation of our flesh or of the evil one. Unless we come to despair, we may ask and say. And look to the hills and ask, where does our help come from? Who and what could help us in this present darkness? How could we actually see that this would not be true in us? Well, I think there's at least three weapons against this darkness that we uh, can utilize. We recognize that he is asserting that these sins should so be so universally absent from the body of believers that there should be no occasion to associate them with the church. And so the first, and by associate them, would be that they are associated in that we partake in them unrepentantly. And so the first weapon against this darkness is Repentance that we would turn from and correspondingly turn to Christ, that we turn from our sin and turn to Christ. Earlier in chapter 4 and verse 22, Paul exhorted them to that, in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Our first weapon against this darkness is repentance. Our first weapon is to recognize our fallenness and our proclivity to sin in this way, both male and female. It may be more subtle with females where you may be drawn to over-romanticize, uh, the over-romanticization of love whereby if a husband is not committing grandiose gestures as seen in romantic movies, you feel slighted or unloved by a husband who lays down his life for you and loves you as Christ loves the church and yet doesn't write your name in the sky or present you with a room full of roses or some other caricature that the world presents as love and yet is couched in lust. And men, I need not say or, or tarry here, but just to recognize that at times it can feel like we are assailed in every direction we cast our gaze. And so our first weapon is to turn from this sin and to turn to Christ. We must recognize that we have been made new and have been given a new mind that is cast in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. One commentator says that silence is not the response to the sins of speech. The response is the sanctification of the tongue, putting off foul talk or superficial jabber, instead putting on grateful, encouraging words for building up. And so, such this darkness will only be dispelled by light. Our second weapon against this darkness is gratitude. According to another commentator, thanksgiving is the proper response of gratitude to God's work of redemption and thus a recognition that he is the ultimate source of every blessing. We might not recognize it in the moment that we are assailed by these sins, but in the, in the fall, but the idea is that we follow after these sins because we actually are seeking something of of reception, we're actually seeking a blessing from these things. We think that there's blessing on the other end of these things, whether it's in uh, some sort of feeling or some sort of presence of mind or some sort of escape from our present life. And so we think there's blessing within this, within these thoughts, words, and deeds, and in the deceitfulness of our sin and the de- deceitfulness of our sin nature, evil has twisted it into good. And so we seek blessing from every source but God. And we forget that the ultimate source of every blessing is God in Christ. And so we are to be reminded that rather than filthiness and silly talk and coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather we are to give thanks to God. The Heidelberg Catechism is broken up into three parts. The first part can come under the title of guilt, how great our sin and misery is. The second part is, can be, come under the title of grace, how we are set free from all our sins and misery. And the third is gratitude, how we are to thank God for such deliverance. Our life lived in the Spirit is to be one of gratitude, for we can do nothing to add to the righteousness that we have been given in Christ. We merit no more of heaven by the deeds we do in this age, nor do we gain a standing in the kingdom of God than when we first believed. But we express our gratitude in how we live. Question 86 of the Heidelberg Catechism asks, since we have been delivered from our misery by grace through Christ without any merit of our own, why then should we do good works? If Christ has committed every good work necessary for our salvation and he has given it to us, then why do we do, why, what is our motivation? Why should we do any good works? The answer is because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, is also restoring us by his spirit into his image, so that with our whole lives we may show that we are thankful to God for his benefits, so that we may be praised through, so that he may be praised through us, that we may be assured of our faith by its fruits, and so that by our godly living our neighbors may be won over to Christ. May we see this, that the only benefits available to us are the ones found in Christ, that we may not seek benefit or blessing from immorality or impurity or greed or filthiness and silly talk, but that we may live according to the benefit that we have in Christ. The final weapon is not exactly a weapon that we wield, but it is something that is given to us and may act as a weapon within us, and that is the Holy Spirit. For we read in verse 3 that all these things are not proper among saints. This idea of being saints is to be set apart The sanctified ones, the ones that are, that are, that are set apart for a holy purpose. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you were following along or, or you knew it well, you may have been anxious for me to continue on reading and rightfully so. For after the list of all those sins, all those uh the people that practice those sins who will not inherit the kingdom of god we read in verse 11 these wonderful words of the gospel such were some of you but you were washed but you were sanctified but you were justified in the name of the lord jesus christ and in the spirit of our god you were made saints what greater weapon of mind do we have but to be reminded that we have been made saints by the very spirit of god and so as we battle against this present darkness we may be reminded that we do we do not battle as other darkness but we battle as those that are now in the light for he goes on to say and that passage in 1 Corinthians that we are to flee from these things. You were made saints, and so you are to flee from these things. And that we would take heed the command of the angels to Lot and his family that we would flee and not look back. As a result, to verse 11, you are a temple of the living God. The temple of the first Testament was a copy of the heavenly temple. And we have been made into many temples as we have been made into the likeness of Christ who said, tear down this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. The Spirit of God now dwelling in us has made us and is building us into a holy temple of God. And by this we recognize that we are not a temple of our own self. We are a temple owned by our creator, that we are not our own. That we face these works of darkness, that they are promoted and promulgated by this world and its prince. That we also see them in ourselves and we must see them as deceit, offering blessing where only death follows. And we must fight against them with repentance and gratitude and in the Holy Spirit that we may give glory to the one who has given us all things so that we lack nothing and possess heavenly riches in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That the Lord would strengthen us to this end that we may, on the day we see him, give praise to his name for in that day he will put away all darkness and it will be no more. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that we have such great promises. We give you thanks for, Lord, we know that as we look without and even as we look within, we see much that clings to the old nature. And certainly without, we see much that is perishing, turning in and itself, twisting evil and good. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you have promised to preserve us. You have promised to uphold us, that none should take us from your hand. O Lord, for your great mysteries and reasons you tarry. And so as you tarry, Lord, may our lives be filled with gratitude, lived in repentance, that we may walk in the Spirit of God. And so we may give praise to you now and forevermore. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.